Welcome to Podcasts. Welcome to Podcasts. I'm EJ. And I'm Dan. And do you know how to go to the heavy side layer? I don't know how to get there, but I know that it's up, up, up. Past? Past the Jellicle Moon. <laughs> up, 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 up. Past the Russell Hotel. Or, but also past the Jellicle Moon. Or as my son sings it, oh, 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 Bastarello. <laughs> <laughs> We should get a, a clip of him singing it for the podcast. I, I can play it later. I can Please pull it in. So we're going to talk about the production of Cats today, and we're going to start to answer the question of why the mistakes, quote unquote, that were mm-hmm. made were made. Um, but I want to start with something that happened recently in the Cats universe. Okay. Um, as our audience knows, uh, Rebel Wilson and James Corden, who played Jenny Annie Dots and Buster for Jones, appeared to present the award for visual effects at the Oscars. Yes. And um, they said something. They came out dressed. As cats. As, as, as their characters from cats. Yes. And, and what did they say, Dan? They made a snarky joke mm-hmm. about the visual effects in cats. They, they, they came out to present the award for visual effects, and they made a joke about how important visual effects are to movies to make them work, and then looked at the camera knowingly. They were like, we know better than anyone how important visual effects are. Yeah. And then pause for laughter. And and people laughed uproariously. Oh, yeah. Did we? No. No. You know why? Why? I'll tell you why I didn't laugh. Because they shouldn't be making fun of the movie that they agreed to be part of just because they were the weakest links in the movie. They were. I mean, I think those are fighting words, but I think they're true. I they were the completely. two weakest performances in the movie. I stand by it. So it didn't end there because that night someone named Eve McRae tweeted, Hey guys, I haven't watched all the Oscars, but I assume these two were really classy and thanked me for working 80 hour weeks right up until I was laid off and the studio closed. Right? And it turns out that this guy was employed by the studio that did the visual effects for Cats, um, which shut down its Vancouver office in December. Okay. Um, so he had a right to be pissed. Absolutely. And the visual effects society was also, the visual effects society was also super pissed and they released a statement last night in presenting the Academy Award for outstanding visual effects. The producers chose to make visual effects, the punchline, and suggested that bad VFX were to blame for the poor performance of the movie Cats. The best visual effects in the world will not compensate for a story told badly. Wow. Wow. So we'll talk a little bit more about the CGI later, but I think that this underscores a very important point, which is that a lot of people shit on the CGI in Cats, but I think we need to talk more about how that CGI was used. I would love to hear about how it was used. Well, we'll discuss it a little bit later. I just think that this is like, this opens up a larger conversation. And also, like, as you said, they were throwing the CGI under the bus to make their own performances like seem more palatable. Right. And it's also worth pointing out. So I did a little original reporting. Okay. Uh, prior to coming here, which means that I like slacked my coworker. Okay. Um, so I work at Rolling Stone and I spoke to Claire Schaefer, who is a film writer for Rolling Stone. Um, and she told me that moving pictures company, which is the studio that did the FX for cats, um, they'd won three Oscars before shutting down in December. Like, first of all, so it's not like they outsourced it to some podunk. What studio. what did they, what uh, films had they won Oscars for? 
they did the the special effects for the Jungle Book. Okay. Um. Well, they didn't win the Oscar for this, but they did the but special the, effects. The, the, the remake. They the did, celebrated remake of the Jumbo. The, they the did the remade, the remade Sonic. Okay, which which also had some. It was a similar thing with the tr- the trailer was shown, and then mm-hmm. they redid the special effects. But now people are on board, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. I mean, as on board as they can be for Sonic. Sure. And they also did uh, the Lion King. Okay, which I saw. Yeah, that was their big one. Um, and what Claire said is that, you know, on Twitter, people were very quick to link the closure to cats, but she said that it was probably due to the accumulated production costs for a number of different movies, um, like primarily the Lion King, which cost a lot to make. Okay. But they recouped. No. I mean, the studio recouped. But the visual. Yeah. I mean, they, the onus is on these visual effects companies. Like, they oftentimes, the production costs a lot more than what they're actually paid. Oh, I see. So they're paid a flat rate. Basically, Disney is saying to them, we're going to pay you $40 million to make the visual effects for The Lion King. Right. But then their actual cost, their overhead, and the amount of time they have to spend made them bankrupt. That's my understanding of it. And that's why a lot of these studios will shut down. I understand. And that seems to be what happened here and not, oh, Cats ruined this studio. Because it shut down in December, which is the month that Cats opened. So uh-huh. it's it's almost impossible for Cats to have even played like that big of a role. Right, because the studio themselves probably didn't have bo- like points on the box office, right? They points? weren't. Are you Aria that- Gold? <laughs> the fuck do what? you know about points? I don't. I just know how it works in the music industry. I don't know how it works in the film industry. But like points, like I don't know what points are. Well, like if 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 the movie makes money, they don't make more money. That's what points are. I, I don't know. The, I honestly don't know. That's what I think points are. I think points are if you have points, then you are not only making your initial fee, but then if the movie does well, you are going to make some percentage of what the movie is making back as well, as if you were an investor. I've literally only heard it's like equity. Entourage. Oh, it's like equity. Oh, like points on the back end. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I guess they don't have points. They don't have points. I'm sure they don't have points. No points. But they would, for sure, if Cats was a success, success, they would have more work coming in down the line. Yeah. But, like, likely. But it wasn't, and it probably was not doing well prior to Cats. Okay. So, so that was really what led to the closure had nothing to do with cats okay. most likely um so in conclusion suck it james corden suck it rebel wilson you are not invited on the pod yeah absolutely not go to hell like just own your decisions you decided to be the, in this movie you get like we assume you gave it your all although maybe you didn't based on the way your performances came off and don't like go backstab us on the way out I, I agree, although to be fair, like with a slight caveat that these are basically thankless roles in that's the true. movie. Like basically thankless roles. But yeah, so that's what happened in Cat's world. Um, so now let's go back to the production of Cat's. Okay. So as we left off last week, um, we left off in 2016, right? Where Tom Hooper is confirmed to direct. Yes. A Tom Hooper who, when he was eight years old... Saw cats in theaters and was like, "This is horny. This is cool." Saw it in, yeah, saw it in the West End. I I love this. Um, and in 2016, it's announced that he is on board to direct. 
Um, so I've broken this down into multiple components based on people's primary critiques of the movie. Okay. Um, and we're going to start by talking about casting. Okay. So do you know um, who Tom Hooper was originally looking to cast in Cats? I don't. I, I, I think I heard a rumor about Anne Hathaway. You are correct. Oh, wow. There was a rumor about Anne Hathaway. They had worked together on Les Mis. Okay, so she wins the Oscar for Les Mis, and Tom Hooper's thinking, maybe we can replicate that Oscar gold and have her come in as Chrisabella? Who? That appears to have been the strategy, and I was unable to confirm that she was slated for Grisabella, but when you think about it, that's really the only role that she could have played, right? I would assume, yeah. And especially when you think about how Jennifer Hudson's portrayal was criticized for basically completely imitating um, Anne Hathaway's portrayal of Fantine and Les Mis, like, it makes sense. Sure. That she would have been slated for Grisabella. Um, and then Rihanna... Is the other person. No way. Uh-huh. Who was Rihanna. Initially attached. Yeah. As who? Bombay Arena. I thought that Taylor Swift was offered that role immediately. Not immediately. Really? Not according to Deadline. Yep. Rihanna was attached. Rihanna to- was going to sing McCavity? Mm-hmm. But they both passed. I would have loved to see Rihanna do that number. Over Taylor Swift? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love Taylor Swift in it, but... Yeah, I think Rihanna would have been a good choice. It would just bring something different to the role. Yeah, I think it would have been a good choice. Um, But they didn't didn't pan out. Okay. According to Vogue, uh, the first person to be cast uh, is Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, And she had a connection to Hooper because they called her in for Cosette and Eponine for Les Mis in 2012. Right. And she's like, oh, I can't be Cosette because I'm not a soprano, but I think I'd be a good Eponine. And she didn't get the role, which honestly, like, I feel like anyone could have seen coming a mile away. Sure. Because uh, she doesn't have the vocal chops. No, yeah, sure. But then she gets the call to play Bomba Irina, and she was a fan of the VHS as a kid, so she's like, hell yes. Okay. And I want to add this footnote about Taylor because a lot of people have shit on her for writing Beautiful Ghosts. So her whole version of this is that it was not part of her role in the movie that she was going to co-write that song. She said that. Mm-hmm, she said that. So how did she get roped into writing it? Here is her version of events. Okay. She says that ALW had like told her offhand, oh, I wish I'd given Victoria a song, like in the original uh-huh. cast. Uh-huh. Um, and oh, they were working on some kind of idea for the character to sing a song, but they didn't. Like, he didn't know what he wanted the song to be. Right. Um, and so this is a quote from Taylor now, not not ALW. And one of the reasons why I was on set every day was I wanted to really get to know that character because if anyone should ever call me to help with the song, I wanted to know what I was doing. Wow. So what, what do you think about that? I think that it's bullshit. Me too. I think it's bullshit too. Why do you think it's bullshit? <laughs> I think that... There's absolutely no way. I think that Taylor Swift for sure, for sure, only agreed to do the movie if she could write a song so that she could win an Oscar. Why do you say that? Because, because you, she, she wanted to win an Oscar? Yeah. She wants to win an Oscar. She wants to EGOT. So why do you think she would tell that story? Because um, what, what story is she going to tell? She's not going to say, I wanted an Oscar and I only did the movie because I won an Oscar. 
Why not? Why wouldn't she say that? She's so like canny about and savvy about like marketing. I but she's like never I re- th- she's never that transparent. I feel like I would respect her more if she said that though. Um. Yeah. Me too. But I don't think that she would be that transparent. Do you think that it was her condition for signing on to the movie? Like, I'll do your stupid little movie. I think yeah. I think her condition was I want to write a song and I want to be on. I want to do one scene. I heard she had a body double for only the one scene she did. Really? Yeah. Why? Because she probably, her contract was probably, I'll do three days on set or whatever. But in the making of, in the interview, she says that she was on set. In cat school. Yes, in cat school, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about cat school. Okay. Um, In the interview, she talks about how she was on set like more than she had to be. But actually, I saw discrepancies with other interviews. They were like, oh, Taylor Taylor was on set for a week and everybody else was on set for like seven weeks. That sounds right. Yeah. So she was she's lying about everything. Basically, we can't trust her at all. Yeah. Look, I mean, Ian McKellen is in more ensemble scenes than she is. That's true. So is Jason Derulo. So is Jason Derulo. So even if that is CGI or that's bodied up, like they didn't even bother to get CGI Taylor Swift in there. It also sounds more like a Taylor joint than an Andrew Lloyd Webber joint. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It doesn't sound like Andrew Lloyd Webber. It sounds more like uh, something from Les Mis, in my opinion. I think it sounds like Taylor had checked out a lot of Les Mis. <laughs> yes. It's, it sounds exactly like Taylor checked out Les Mis. And was 14 and like in theater camp. Yeah. And like listening to the Les Mis soundtrack on her like... CD player as one does. Yeah, did. Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm sure she watched Cats when she was younger, like, like she said she did, but I don't think that Taylor Swift is like aware of Andrew Lloyd Webber's other work. You don't think she's checked out of Eda? No. Not from that song, I don't. You don't think Taylor Swift would want to play... If, like, um, imagine we lived in a world where Evita was not made into a movie in 1996. Like, don't okay. you... She would be the first in line to play Evita. I think it's even... Uh, well, Maybe. She wouldn't be good. I'm not saying she'd she be good. She would never be cast. She'd never be cast. She doesn't. She don't got the range. No. So Taylor is apparently cast first. Um, next to be cast are Francesca Hayward and Stephen McRae um, okay. from the Royal Ballet. They're cast January. And the only other interesting thing that I could find about the casting is that one deadline report suggests that Ian McKellen was set to play Old Deuteronomy. Mm. Pre Dame Judy Dench, because you know what I remember. I remember very well hearing mm-hmm. about the the first cast announcements mm-hmm. and seeing Ian McKellen's name and and thinking that he would be old Deuteronomy. Apparently, um, this could be you know just a reporting error, and that's certainly possible. That deadline didn't update it, um, but I'm doubtful. I think that that probably he was slated to be old Deuteronomy. Huh. Interesting. Because this was pre-Dame Judy Dench. She's cast in November. Ian oh, wow. is cast July. Wow. Okay. So I just wonder, like, what, what was that conversation like? What, like when they said, listen, Ian, we don't want you as old Deuteronomy anymore. Yeah, we want you in this much smaller part. Smaller, but like Meaty. so up his alley and a great, a better song than old Deuteronomy has. Well, okay. It's better than Moments of Happiness. Yeah. But he could. But Old Deuteronomy gets a gets a line in her eponymous song. One line. Yeah. And then Old Deuteronomy, get, he uh, he or she gets the finale. Yeah, they get a dressing of cats. A dressing of cats. It's a much bigger part. Yeah, 
And Ian McKellen would have killed it. He would have killed it. But the you movie, think Ian can do no wrong. I do think Ian can do no wrong. I first saw the movie when I saw Ian lapping up milk and meowing. I was a little bit worried about what they were going to do to him, but he absolutely destroyed it. I mean, that's my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> so, Rebel Wilson, Jason Derulo, Dame Judi Dench, Ian McKellen, Jennifer Hudson, James Corden, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Do you think there's anybody that stands out to you as somebody who absolutely should not have been in Cats? Mm, no. Me neither. Yeah. That's what was so surprising to yeah. me this week. Yeah. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about the casting, and I was looking at the the names of the people who were cast, and I was like, these people are fine. They're totally fine. So that's not where Cats went wrong. No, the casting was not the problem. The casting was not the, but the actors are are the ones who are getting so much shit. Um. Yes and no. Do you think that any of those actors will actually be harmed by this whole entire thing? This is what we were talking about in the very beginning, right? Like some of them will be fine and some of them, their careers are ruined. Oh, and Idris Elba. I forgot about Idris Elba. I don't think the cast in general is getting blamed for for this product, this movie apparently being bad. That's true. That is true. I mean, for all of the mockery that's been sort of targeted at the cast, I mean, as we saw with the Rebel Wilson, James Corden punchline at the Oscars, I mean, they've sort of managed to come out of it pretty gracefully, all in all. Well, if you can call that graceful. I think Ian McKellen was graceful about it and that he got out ahead of it, uh, wrote a statement on Twitter about how much he loved the movie. Yeah. That's graceful. That is great. And he never backed down. And Taylor Swift's whole, like, I mean, we'll talk about this next week when we talk about the reception of Cats, but Taylor Swift's whole, like, oh, I don't care how the movie turned out. Like, it was so much fun making it spiel. I mean, that's that's a good way to deal with it, Absolutely. Gracious. Gracious. Yeah. And she will work again in movies, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I think with, actually, you're right. With some minor exceptions, the cast really has not taken too bad of a hit. Yeah. For cats. Um, so let's move on to the other components that um, people sort of skewered. Okay. Um, let's talk about the set. Sure. So when the trailer comes out, everybody is upset about um, the perspective that everything is bigger than the actors, um, that it looks strange that the cats are to scale. I remember when you and I talked about it, I was like, the cats are to scale. And that had not even occurred to you as like something that was strange about the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they're to scale. Yeah, it was just so obvious to you. And why was it... Well, tell me why was it obvious to you. Well, they're to scale in the show. Exactly. So I didn't realize that. Yeah. At the time. But what people forgot when they were criticizing this is, okay, so in the set, like, this, it's 2.5 times larger than human actors. So everything is at least twice as large as the cats Uh in the movie. But this is the case in the stage production as well. Right. Um, except I guess it's a lot less noticeable because it's on a stage, so there's more of an obvious 2D feel. Um, but from a vulture piece on the history of cats, set designer John Napier devised a rubbish dump where everything was scaled to the size of the cats. There were overscaled cans of Heinz big beans, a big sneaker, a discarded washing machine, and the enormous trunk of a broken down car. That's correct. And actually, I want to... 
hop in here and say that those were some of those are three dimensional objects on the stage. Right. But when I say 2D feel, I mean, like from the perspective of an audience member, it looks more two dimensional okay. than it would in a film. Okay, sure. So it's not, the the difference isn't as jarring, I guess. Right. And it's only a few objects because it's a, st- a set that pretty much stays the same for the entire show. They're yes. not moving from room to room. Yes, exactly. Which is a major difference. Yeah. Um, which is actually what, <laughs> something really funny that um, the production designer said in an interview is that um, she studied cats and she learned that cats only travel within a four block radius. So that's why the action is basically restricted to four blocks. Okay. So they took the whole cat thing very seriously. Okay. Um, A lot of people complained, however, about the fact that the scale was inconsistent. Right. That sometimes the cats look tiny and sometimes they look normal. Right. And basically this was a problem that the production designer, um, who's this woman, Eve Stewart, faced throughout the production. And she says... We kept having to adapt all the sizes. For example, the chairs had to be three times their normal size to give the cat something to jump up onto. But we quickly learned that certain things, such as bricks, didn't look realistic at that scale. It was an ongoing process of adjusting every small detail until it was just right. So the reason why it looks inconsistent is because it was. It was inconsistent. Yes. I mean... That's what this woman said. Right. They had to keep adjusting everything. There wasn't any consistent scale. Right. They were just like, oh, this looks weird. We're going to fix it. Oh, this looks weird. We're going to fix it. Yikes. But I also want to defer to um, a YouTube commenter, that, uh, that font of wisdom YouTube comment, um, named Isaac Nonixid, um, who commented on a one of the cats making of featurettes. Um, and by the way, Isaac's avatar is of Mr. Mistopheles. Really? Yes. Okay, so he's into it. <laughs> he's into it. Um, I've heard some people complaining about the cats being too small when compared to actual cats. And I've waited to hear someone explain why that is. But no one has. So I'm just going to do it. These are Jellicle cats. And Jellicle cats are rather small. Jellicle cats are not too big. Jellicle cats are of moderate size. And Jellicle cats, as we said, are small. All quotes from the song of the Jellicles in the musical. Link here if you don't believe me. Yeah, and that and all those lyrics, if I'm not mistaken, are included in the film. They are all included in the film. So it's explained. It is explained. The problems of scale are explained. Except that the cats, the Jellicle cats in the film, when standing next to each other, all appear to be pretty much the same size. Yes. That's true. I also think just from reading so many interviews about the making of the film that everybody was pretty much just like, fuck it, like the whole time. Okay. You know, like this is this is really weird. Just like, I, I, like fuck it. I don't want to. Like Hooper seems happy. This is what he wants. Let's just do it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I think you get a little bit of insight into talking in, like in reading interviews with the other people involved in the making of the film about Tom Hooper being sort of in big personality, quote unquote, uh-huh. like, you know, what kindergarten teachers would say is a big personality. Uh-huh. Um, so I think they sort of bent to his will. Okay. In a lot of respects. But yeah, um, I just want to say Isaac Nonick said, um, you should listen to the podcast. <laughs> Please reach out <laughs> at what's the podcast. One, two, three at gmail.com. Get in touch. If you want to come on, we'll talk. He's almost certainly listening right now. Yeah, I, hope so. I hope so. 
So let's talk about the choreography. Mm-hmm. So you know who the choreographer is. Right? Andy, what's his last name? Blankenbuehler. Blankenbuehler. And you know that he has a connection to cats. Well, as far as I know, he choreographed the 2014 London Revival, which became the 2016 Broadway Revival. <laughs> you even got the date right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, that's And that's correct. both after he choreographed Hamilton. Yes, that is correct. Um, so, yeah, he is the choreographer, and I believe, of the revival in 2016. Um, the relatively short-lived revival on Broadway. Yeah. And... I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, it was kind of controversial because he didn't entirely do away with Jillian Lynn's choreography, the original choreography. He was pretty faithful to it, actually, except with the exception of a couple numbers. Yeah, but, I saw it. it. He was faithful, except for the solo numbers. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. But she was not happy about it. Right. I believe she said it made her feel murderous. Wow. Yes. Because he changed up like Mr. Mistopheles and what else? Some of the other ones. Jenny Any Dots, maybe? Uh, Rum Tum Tugger. Rum Tum Tugger. Right. He changed up the choreography for the rapping cat, Rum Tum Tugger. Right. Which they thankfully got rid of in the Broadway production. Right. But on the West End, he was rapping. Yikes. Anyway, so he has a connection to the material. So he, but he actually was not the first choice. Oh, who was? This guy, Wayne McGregor. Um, who's known for his work with the Royal Ballet, and he worked on The Woman in White, too. He was okay. the movement director. I feel like a ballet choreographer would be a better choice. I agree. I completely agree. <laughs> so when I found this, and he was he was on he was on board for quite some time, but they, they announced him months before um, they announced Blankenbuehler. Okay. So he, he is signed on for quite some time. And he's from the Royal Ballet. Um, he's known for sort of his idiosyncratic movement, um, but, you know, very restrained, very classical. Um, and the Royal Ballet is home to Stephen McRae and Francesca Hayward, um, who are Skimble Shanks and Victoria, respectively. So he's worked with these people before. He's familiar with them. He has to back out because of scheduling conflicts. Okay, so what does that mean? I was just going to ask you, what do you think scheduling conflicts means? I think that maybe he clashed with Tom Hooper's large personality. (laughs) Oversized personality. Oversized personality. Scheduling conflicts never means scheduling conflicts. No. Ever. No. Especially if you've been on set for a while. And they cast the ensemble. I found casting notices from Wayne McGregor Studio for the ensemble for Cats, um, from that summer, the summer of 2018. Okay. So he was casting the sh- like right. he was casting the movie. He was very much involved. He was very much involved. He has to leave because of quote unquote scheduling conflicts. Okay. Um. So. So let's get him on the podcast. Oh yeah, let's get a great idea. Please, whoever knows what's his name, Wayne McGregor. Wayne McGregor. If anyone out there knows Wayne McGregor, please, please send him our way. He's a very good-looking guy. I was looking at images of him. You know, lovely bald head. Okay. Nice physique. And this isn't really relevant. It was just an observation I had on the train sure. when I was looking at photos of him. Sure. Um, so out goes Wayne. In comes Andy. He's best known for Hamilton and In the Heights. He's very musical theater, uh, very razzle-dazzle. Did you see Bring It On the musical? No, I did not. Okay, well, very fucking razzle. Very fucking dazzle. Um and like we said, he did the 2016 revival choreography. 
So I I don't think this news really bothered fans, and I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing they got him. Um, although I do think it shows, like the swapping out shows at the very least that the production was a bit hectic. Uh huh. Um, I mean, what do you think of the choreography in the movie? Uh, I don't like it. Oh, I'm, you don't? I didn't know you felt so strongly about well, it. Well, no. It's not that I... I like some of it. Some of it's cool. The Jellicle Ball sequence worked well. But I think that when you watch, which we have recently, when you watch the original choreography, the 1998 version, and then compare it to the new choreography, it doesn't make sense that they got rid of it. Yeah, it doesn't. Then The original is iconic, and it, it's, it works uh, splendidly to this day. But do you think it would have worked for Tom Hooper's vision? Well, I don't think any choreography worked for Tom Hooper's vision because he didn't shoot the movie in a way to highlight the dancing. Yeah, so speak more about that. So the movie is shot. I, I wish I had the uh, filmmaking jargon where I could really tell you what was going on. But it's a lot of like tight shots, like more close up so that like not once or very few times in the movie does he actually have a wide shot where you can just watch the cats dance for a while, which I think is a hallmark of a dance movie to have mm-hmm. shots like that. He has like close up shots. He has it's all CGI. So a lot of the dancing looks fake, even though I think a lot of it is real and you can never quite tell what's real and what's not. And it's always the camera is always switching. Like every second there's a new shot. It's like there are no just like long, very like long, wide dance shots that allow you to appreciate what's going on. So it doesn't sound like Blank and Bueller can be faulted, really. Not necessarily. But I also just think that Jillian Lynn's choreography fit the aesthetic uh, of the musical better than Hayden. Do you, how much of a departure do you think it is? Quite a, quite a lot. I don't recognize many of the dance moves at all. In the movie? None. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I do think that it's definitely... I mean, Jillian Lynn... I, I hesitate to use the word balletic because I don't... Like, largely because I don't know if it is a word. Um, I think it is. Yeah, I, it's so balletic. Yeah. And it's so, and it's, it's mellifluous. Mm. I would say, th- I, I know that's word. And I would say that Blank and Bueller is very much of the, like, let's put on a show so, sort of school. Right. Um, and he's like more the hip hop guy for Broadway. Yeah, like Les Twins being in right. there they too. They bring in Les Twins. Didn't, didn't, weren't they cast kind of late? I don't know, actually. So yeah, they were cast in December 2018, Liz Twins, which is in the middle of filming, I believe. Right after filming it, it started, yeah, and right after Blank and Bueller took over. Okay, so that makes sense. Blank and Bueller wants to make it more hip-hop. He brings in two of the most famous hip-hop dancers in the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily think, I mean, I guess I agree with you in the sense that I don't know if that's necessarily the best. It's a very confusing addition. It's not necessarily a bad addition, but it's a confusing one to Cats. Right. Given its storied history of dance that is not that. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to, they wanted to contemporize it. Yeah. But is that necessarily something that was needed? I think that's up for debate. Sure. And I also think we get some insight on where exactly the choreography went wrong um, with something else that you mentioned earlier, which was Cats School. Okay, yeah. So tell me what you know about Cat School. All I know about Cat School is that the actors had this option, I believe, of 
going to quote unquote cat school during filming when like not when they were actually filming, but during their off time or like maybe in the morning or maybe a night after filming. I'm not totally sure when it happened, but they brought in a cat expert, cat movement expert to come in and teach these actors how to move and act like cats. Is that right or no? That is right, except she wasn't a cat movement expert. Okay, who was she? She just learned. She's a lady who learned about cats. Like when? Like a month before she came in? Yes. Really? Yes. They brought Shortly before she came in. They brought an account movement expert who, shortly before she came in, learned about cats. She was a movement director, um, and she had worked as a choreographer for the Royal Opera House. Okay. So, but she was not a cat movement expert. Her, she's a lady named uh, Sarah Dowling. Sarah Dowling. And by the way, Sarah Dowling gives interviews left, right, and left. So she would almost certainly be on the podcast. Well, let's get her on, Sarah. So, I, yeah, I don't want to malign her work too much. But I, I just want to say that she was very, very, very focused on the mechanics of being a cat. Wow. Um, I read a Slate interview Cats have got large shoulder blades, so I'd create a visual reference for everybody and get them moving their shoulder blades to make us believe that their shoulder blades are bigger than they are and that their collarbone isn't fixed, that they can fit their head through something. Hmm. So this is sort of her job, right, is to think like that. Yeah. You know, to think in a very granular way about the way cats move. Um, But... I don't know if she necessarily found the best solution to how to sort of adapt cat physicality to the demands of a musical. Um, Basically, she decided it would obey this sort of musical logic. Um, So sort of like if they went, they would become human like they would be cats normally, but they become human like when some sort of emotion was overtaking them. Uh So if ever needed to run, they needed to go to two feet. So if there was some big urge or instinct to do something strong, they would go to two feet. So let me ask this. Were, when, when the original musical was in production, did they have someone, a cat movement expert, come in or was it all Jillian Lynn? It was all Jillian Lynn, I okay. believe. She like, went out and studied cats. She, already had, she was already the best choreographer in Britain. She had all the, probably the ballet technique, modern technique. She knew all that stuff, but she didn't necessarily know about cats and she went and studied cats and she was the information for the cast members. I don't even know how much she studied cats. I mean, I don't know if she, you know, brought in a cat anatomy person in Uh to talk. I mean, I certainly don't think she did that. Yeah. I think she probably like watched a cat like play with a ball of yarn a couple (laughs) of times and was like, okay. Good enough. I mean... Look, it definitely informed the choreography, like you can see in the 1981 documentary that it did. But I think that I, I think the difference is that this. I I think the difference is that in the original version, the cats were humans pretending to be cats, right? Whereas in the movie, it's cats pretending to be humans, or cats who have human physical reactions to strong emotions. Apparently. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's sort of like how you how you know like the the criticism of musicals is always oh well why do they sing in the middle of like a scene and the justification is always oh because they feel these emotions so strongly right it's the same with acting like a human right when why, you're a cat. why did that cat get up on hind legs and run away because the emotion was <laughs> just so strong exactly that, okay that, I, I I get that well the actors didn't okay the actors didn't get it you know who didn't get it Taylor Swift. Uh huh. She didn't get it. 
she was in one number, right? So she's getting this vibe. Keep in mind when I read this quote, she's getting this vibe from one number. Yeah. She's talking about cat school. And she says, we were going to be hybrids in both our appearance and our behavior and movement, which was so funny because you'd walk on set one day and they'd be like, oh, we have to redo the choreography. It's a little too human today. We need to make it more cat today. Or they'd be like, it's a little too cat and not enough dance. So we need to dial back the cat and make it more dance. Wow. So she was having trouble. She didn't understand. She didn't quite understand what was going on. It was never explained to her. The whole, the whole concept was never explained to she her. She was confused. Right. She was confused. But she was on set for a very short amount of time. So, of course, she was confused. But my whole my takeaway from that is she was on set for a very short amount of time and she could already glean that nobody could agree on how much of the cats were supposed to be cats and how much of the cats were supposed to be human. Mm -hmm. Like she was on set for that little time and she could already glean like, oh, there's nobody understands what's going on. Okay, so so you're seeing this as a Taylor observation more than a Taylor failure. To understand? I think Taylor's I mean, well, that's my opinion of. I guess my personal opinion of Taylor Swift is sort of informing this, but I think Taylor Swift understands everything. I do. I'm, I'm with you. To be just clear, <laughs> I, I'm totally with you. But Taylor, so, okay, so she, from an outsider's perspective, more or less, she just came in for a short amount of time. She knew that shit was fucked. Yes, that's what I think. And there's other evidence that suggests that too. Okay. Which we'll discuss. Okay. Um, probably next week. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I what my takeaway from that is it's similar to how Julian Lynn choreographed the original. Um, you know, cat movements inform the direction that it took, but they could just not decide on the ratio of cat to human, to human, to cat, to cat, to human. <laughs> they just kept going back and forth. Same with the sets. Uh-huh. Is it twice the size? Is it three times so the in size? My so in my head, this is Hooper. This is all Hooper. I don't know if it was, but in my head, this is Hooper going, it's, it's just, it's not human enough. I'm not hearing it. I'm not feeling it in my emotions. But they don't look like cats today. It's not cats. That's This is all just Hooper's big personality. Uh, yes. Okay, he's becoming a less sympathetic figure in my head. I, I agree with you. So I present I presented Exhibit A. I presented Exhibit B. I'm going to present Exhibit C. The costumes. Alright, so I read a couple interviews with this costume designer who's this guy, Paco Delgado. And I have to say that if we had to have one guest on the podcast, on podcasts, it wouldn't be Andrew Lloyd Webber, it wouldn't be Taylor Swift. It would, Come on, it'd be this fucking guy. Come on, it'd be this guy. Tell me why. <laughs> this is remember when I told you earlier that there was one thing that I found this week that made me scream. Yes, this is the thing that made me scream. <laughs> I can't even read it without laughing. Come on. So, so the interviewer asked him, "What was the research process for the costumes like?" He says, we wanted to explore many directions, and one of them was to think of what type of cats they would be. For example, we asked ourselves, if you are a cat that lived with a magician and have a costume, should the costume come from the cat, and could they decide what to wear, or has it been given to them by their owner? <laughs> if you are a cat that lived with a magician and have a costume. So this is obviously like some... Argentinian guy or whatever yeah. making a giant fedora with like a big cigar if you are a cat that lived with a magician and have a costume <laughs> should the costume come from the cat and could they decide what to wear or has it been given to them by the owner amazing question he's a perfect person clearly yeah um, but anyway 
like a major just criticism of the film was of Paco's work. Oh, really? Yeah, which I feel very defensive of him. Yeah, now. me too. Um, like the costumes were bad because some of the cats had them and others uh, like Victoria um, or Monkey Strap were basically, you know, costumeless and wandering around naked. Right. And so one source I found, um, the production designer actually said that Tom Hooper gave Dame Judi Dench a coat, for instance, um, because like to be chivalrous, basically, mm-hmm. um, because he didn't want her just showing up to set in a skimpy leotard. Right. Um, but here's what Paco said. This was his answer to the question. Some of the some of the characters wear clothes and some don't. It was difficult because we didn't want to humanize them because they are already very human. We were always questioning whether the cat should be dressed. And if they do wear clothes, are they a free character who chooses how they dress? And if a cat has a collar, does it belong to him or has it been given to him by his owner? We tried to minimize the costumes for a more interesting approach. Okay. More interesting to have fewer costumes. Yes. Or to minimize meaning like less is more. Like this cat has a bracelet but nothing else. Yes. Okay. And they didn't want to humanize them. Right. But Hooper did want to humanize them. Because they are already very human is the next part of that quote. Okay, okay. It was difficult because we didn't want to humanize them because they are already very human. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to pick this guy's brain. Me too. I would love to hear him talk about what the hell he was thinking. But what does this mean? Like, it was... And he also talks about, um, in another part of the interview, he talks about how it was challenging because of the CGI um, that present like presented a major challenge for him to sort of design the costumes. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So I think I don't really blame Paco. Maybe that's just because I love Paco, but I don't really blame him for the fact that this answer doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. I think that probably the CGI was a major obstacle. I'm sure it was. But I, I mean, what do you make of it? What do you make of what do you make of Paco? What do you make of <laughs> I'm not sure what to make of him because it seems like he was faced with this somewhat impossible task. I also am just a little bit unclear about how the CGI worked. Like, were they... Because even in the behind-the-scenes videos that I watched, it's most of the videos seemed like they were shot in rehearsal, not actually in the filming. Because I assume when they're filming, they're wearing some kind of suit that would allow CGI to be painted over them. And I haven't seen a lot of footage of that. They That's true. And there's a photo that I really want to show you, actually, that I found of Dame Judi Dench and Robert Fairchild um, playing Bananagrams while wearing their motion capture suits. Okay, there you go. See, that's what I needed to see. That None of those, those suits are not in the behind-the-scenes videos at all. Right, because they look ridiculous. They look absolutely ridiculous. Describe, um, wait, describe what we're looking at. It's Judy Dench in a full body, full f- uh, head green suit, like a green screen, put, but like it's a her clothing, um, with some like motion capture red dots all over her, and um, looks like maybe um, white makeup with. M- um, Dots all over her face for motion capture purposes. And Robbie Fairchild wearing almost the same thing, but a black suit instead of a gray suit. They look like ghouls. Instead of a green suit. They look like ghouls. The chandelier is behind them, the famed chandelier. And they're playing bananagrams. Um, Okay, so I can't imagine 
Yeah, I can't imagine it's even possible to put a costume on one of those characters without it getting erased by the CGI. So tell me what you know about the CGI. The digital fur technology is the phrase that was used. All I know is that Hooper said that it is that it was developing basically as he was developing the movie and that when he first started production or when he first started pre-production, what he wanted was not possible. And then slowly it became possible. What did he want? He wanted incredibly realistic human performances with fur on their face. Cat, like, but like a cat face, but a human performance. And Andrew Lloyd Webber actually says this um, after the movie is greenlit, but before it's actually in production. He says in 2016, now I think that you can't do cats with a great deal, without a great deal of CGI. Part of the thing is seeing that they are human beings. He says that. Yes. But, but, but he doesn't think that makeup or prosthetics would have... No, he thinks that CGI, like, you need to do it with CGI. You need to do it with CGI. Yeah, so, to, you know, in fairness to Tom Hooper, this, you, you know, ALW is, is on board with this. Okay. You know, but then Tom Hooper, I mean, I think it's, it's, sort, it's the same have your cake and eat it too philosophy. Because Tom Hooper is also quoted as saying, I didn't want to have extraordinary people doing extraordinary things and lose them to some post-production technology. So, like, what exactly... What does he want? What does he want? The whole issue, I feel like, can be summarized by James Corden's quote from the making of Featurette. Okay. Which is, do you remember it? Uh, vaguely, but please, please tell me exactly what it was. These are people, but they're cats, and this is kind of blowing my mind. So, basically, like, you know, as we said earlier, the issue isn't the CGI so much as how the CGI is used. And it's not even so much how the CGI is used as it is, like, inconsistency. Like, nobody could decide whether they were supposed to be cats or human. Like, to sum up, I think that the entire issue with cats was inconsistency. The sizing of the set was inconsistent. The costumes are inconsistent. The choreography is inconsistent. It's all inconsistent. There's no cohesive vision for this film other than that they're cats and they're people and they're cats. And it's supposed to blow our minds. Right. And from what it seems like, there's no cohesive vision, but there's a man at the helm claiming that he has a very cohesive vision and insisting that everyone follow his vision. Yes, that seems that seems to be at least in part the case, just judging from the interviews with the crew. Uh huh. Um. Like, nobody is coming out and saying that he's an egomaniac. Like, this is all extrapolation. But it does seem to me like their roles are sort of being subsumed by this guy saying, oh, we have this digital fur technology. Uh Like, we need to use this. And here, let's have the costumes. Let's have the set. Everything that we do should be in service to this technology. Right. That isn't even, like, as we saw, fully developed yet. Not at all. But it, the entire vision of the film was reliant on it. And he basically just waited for the technology to develop to make the film. That's what it seems like. Yeah. But then instead of even testing it and making sure it worked, he just went ahead and plowed on. I think so. Uh-huh. That, that is my hypothesis. That well, is my working explanation for why boy, Cats failed. Boy, would I love to talk to someone who's involved with this production. So would I. <laughs> Hopefully Paco. Preferably Paco. Preferably Paco. 
please reach out. Or I would even settle. I would settle for Sarah Dowling. Sure, Sarah Dowling. I would take Sarah Dowling. I would take Eve Stewart, the production designer. Oh, yeah. You know, I think those sets look great. Listen, I would also take Lee Hall, who wrote the script with him. Oh, we don't even talk about the script. Yeah. Would you have any thoughts on the script? It's bad. It's bad. (laughs) bad. Okay, so here's the deal. Lee Hall, I don't know much about him. I do know that he wrote Rocket Man, which came out this year, and I haven't seen it, but critically praised. Really? Yeah. So he must be somewhat of a good scriptwriter. I think he's also worked on some other stuff that was good. Um, I really want to know what him and Hooper's relationship was like and like when he was brought in, why he was brought in, how he tried to help, and if he helped. I just don't understand how somebody could write the line, it's party time with your permission. <laughs> Um, that didn't bother me nearly as much as, what's the matter? Cat got your tongue. <laughs> what's wrong? Cat got look your what, tongue. Look what the cat dragged in. Look what the in. cat dragged in. So, like, yeah, like, basically, nothing, none of this book, if we can call it a book, like, it's a musical and it's got a book. Basically, Cats the Musical does not have a book. So, none of this book that is added to the show or to the movie in my opinion, helps it out. Nothing. None of it. None of it helps. None of it. So, Lee Hall, I want to talk to you. I don't really want to talk to Lee Hall. Really? No. Because I, I, I want to hear what it was like. M- maybe it was a Tom Stoppard situation where he was trying his best, but there was someone who just wouldn't have it his way. Or maybe it's just some hack <laughs> pecking away at his keyboard after drinking like three bourbons before noon trying right. to meet his deadline maybe it's just like oh this is a funny project that i got hired for i'm gonna take my check and like write some stupid ass script i mean listen i would sure of course i'd shit out some copy for like- but you would take it seriously no, I I should if if I got paid. I mean, how much do screenwriters get paid on projects like that? Like, I don't even. You know. would know better than I would. I literally have no idea. I, I, I have absolutely no idea. Well, people, the the what is the saying that screenwriters are the eunuchs of Hollywood because they're not invited to the orgy. Oh, jeez. They just have to stand in the corner. So I don't know. He was probably probably wasn't paid that much. That's sad. But um, I don't I don't know. I have I have no ethics. I have no qualms about shitting out some like copy that I'm not proud of for a paycheck. Like yeah, okay. Why not? You know. Yeah. I you could say and you can go to a party and. I mean, yeah, I would I would write some shitty music for a shitty commercial that I got paid for and not really care that much about it. Yeah, and like not even that much money, like twenty five thousand dollars. You can give me a twenty five thousand dollar check. I'll I'll shit out whatever you want. I would write a commercial for far less than twenty five thousand dollars. Really? Yeah. Well, what kind of what about like a Cialis? Would I write a jingle? Would I write a jingle for yeah? Okay, would I write a jingle for Cialis for two grand if it took me like two days? What about what about a commercial for medicine that makes you shit your pants? Yeah, I would write that commercial for two grand. Sure. So this is my working theory for why Cats failed, and it has nothing to do with the show being bad. It has nothing to do with the music being bad. It it doesn't even have anything to do with the performances being bad or any individual piece of the production failing in some significant way not the cgi not the sets not the choreography not the british version of mungo jerry and rumble teaser not the british version of mungo jerry and rumble teaser none of it 
individually is responsible for the not even Tom Hooper, not even the director, none of it. It is the cohesive, although he bears, I think, the most responsibility. Sure. It is just the utter lack of consistent vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would apply regardless of what your source material was. Absolutely. So next week, we're going to talk about what happened when this cat, human, cat mess finally hit theaters and how people reacted and I, whether or not the reactions were fair. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear what you think. I know what I think. About whether the reactions were fair? Yeah. Were, were they fair? No. <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, okay. So stay tuned. We'll see you next week. And please email us podcasts one two three at gmail.com. And please like, rate, subscribe, review podcast. You can find us on every major podcast platform. We will see you next time on podcasts. Bye.